Hey everybody, it's Larry with Taylor Trash Fly Fishing, and I am here in Oak Hill, seated at the old oak table here in the Taylor Park, and this is going to be another edition of A Beer With. Here at the old oak table with me this evening, enjoying a chocolate porter, is the owner and designer of Razorfish Boats, Tim Williams. Tim, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, been kind of interested for a while. Um, all the guys from the podcast um, have been whispering in my ear that you would be a great person to have come on. Um, most oftentimes, a lot of uh, the guests that I have on a beer with are fly fishing names or folks and we talk a lot about fly fishing but uh you know we also do a lot of skiff talk on the main podcast and of interest to myself as well as the the guys and i believe most of our listeners will find it interesting as well is you're one of the very few folks as a sole proprietor that's uh, in the current marketplace that not only is building their own boats, but actually designed their own boat. It's not a copy of something. It's literally your idea of what you wanted to build. And it went from a dream rattling around inside that skull of yours to maybe jotting something down on a pad of paper and ultimately you built the tooling and here we are you've uh sold um boats now and your company's growing slowly but surely and you're taking on some other projects which we'll get into but uh Let's start out by uh, allowing you to introduce yourself, kind of give like a 30,000-foot view of uh, what Razorfish is and uh, what you guys offer. Yeah, so you hit that pretty much right on the head with the RZ-15. It lived in my head for years and then, uh, you know, lived on a pad of paper, sometimes with boats or often on a beer napkin or something of that sort, and then... uh, from there, she moved into the computer, into the 3D world, and, you know, the whole ones and zeros and moving things around and lived there for a while. And then, you know, eventually she needed to be brought to life. So, you know, and she got made into some into a plug and then made the whole plug, flipped it upside down, ran it, ran the piss out of it, you know. And then when it was time and all the small adjustments had been made to the whole bottom, then, then a mold was made. And then after that, the uh, the deck was uh, brought straight from Rhino to a friend of mine who has his own uh, CNC machine, and he cut patterns, basically, for me to make the deck off of. And then the patterns were sculpted with Bondo, essentially, and sanded and fared until the deck was ready, the deck plug, and then a mold was made from that. And then, you know, the first boat was made, and I guess the rest is history. Is that That is, you know, concerned with the RZ-15. Um, you know, she's a different boat. Like you mentioned earlier, she is not based upon anyone else's boat out there on the market. When I started looking at what I wanted to do, you know, you get, you get all up in the, 
the business of what is everyone else doing, all the excitement of it, you know, they're doing this, they're doing that. And at some point, I just thought, well, everyone else is doing that. Why don't I just do my own thing? So I started looking at what the other boat companies weren't doing in that small skiff market, you know. Let's add this stuff to it. Let's add some fishability back to it. You know, small things, as stupid as it sounds to a lot of people, a simple cup holder makes your day a little bit better. So let's put those on there. Maybe some plier holders, a fillet knife holder. Let's add some real non-skid to the boat. Uh, rod storage, locking rod storage. Um, you know, put the splash well back on the boat, make it auto-draining so, you know, the wave comes into the back of it and comes back out. So, you know, shallow water as well. She drives about four inches. Um so that's that's where we yeah I think um, one of the more interesting concepts uh, and you just touched on it uh, in some of our conversations that we've had over you know the past months year um, was the concept of I started looking at what other people weren't doing and I thought wow okay that's uh you know kind of the contrarian approach because uh, I believe you'll probably agree with me that uh, a lot can be said about the shallow skiff marketplace in so far as there's not a lot of differences um, company to company, model to model. It all just starts to blend together because everybody's trying to be the same, do the same kind of um, models out there um, where your boat doesn't fit that mold at all. No, that she definitely does not. Uh, you know, I can't speak to the other boats out there and what the beginning was, but you're always kind of taught when you want to bring something to market, you got to have a difference and you got to have, you know, something that someone else doesn't have. And you know, at some point it got hard for me to see what that was going to be and what that was. And then just, you know, needed to be my own thing and just be me. Right. So that's what I went after. All right. So, you know, you're one of two uh, folks that I know. Uh, Kevin Finn um, started East Cape um, based on his own design off of a, a napkin, so to speak. Um, and, you know, that's a, both of you, you know, it's like a passion project. Um, obviously, you know, you have been around um, boats. Um, you did some time uh, in the Navy. Not like prison time, but you served <laughs> in the Navy. You know, they're one um, and the same. One and the same. But, uh, you know, let's let's wind it back a little bit and talk about, you know, what has been your exposure to boating, per se? Um, you know, at what point, you know, was it as a as a child? Um, how old were you when you first started enjoying going out on the water in a boat? Oh, that's a those are always tough questions to exactly remember that you know, pinpoint or spark that set the motion. But, you know, I always just remember growing up sailing with my father on Lake Erie. He had a small little Catalina sailboat. And, uh, you know, his idea of teaching how to swim was just throwing you in the water. And if you sunk, you, you didn't swim. So you better figure out how to swim pretty quick. Uh, and then from there, you know, my uncle had the 
traditional 1970s tri-hull, you know, runabout that they all looked the same and came from the same mold, that sort of boat. But it was amazing because it was time on the water with family. Uh, and then from there, I was always lucky enough to bum a ride on someone else's boat or something like that. Uh, you know, and then a buddy of mine and I actually had built our own little, uh, we had refurbished actually not built a little disc racer. Have you ever seen these things? No. It's usually like two pieces of plywood will build the whole boat. You know, one's the hull bottom cut down the middle and then kind of twist it up on itself. Okay. Has a 10 horsepower on it. And you're like, ah, oh, 10 horsepower is not really enough. But when you're like about 14 years old and you know, you're riding on a saucer that's 10 feet long, 10 horsepower is plenty. <laughs> you're just a skipping stone. Uh, so moments like that, I had forgot that earlier when we were talking, you know, there may or may not have been some alcohol involved with that one when we were 15 or 16 or so with that thing. Uh, but then I joined the Navy. I just had to be around boats. Now they have a different name for someone who has to be with something, you know, ADHD or something like that. But ever since I remember the water and boats was pretty much my, you know, my thing and just made me calm. You know, other people like sports, baseball, all that sort of stuff. Mine was always boats and just tinkering with stuff, always taking stuff apart, putting it back together. So I joined the Navy under the, joined the Navy See the World, which was kind of a misnomer on a submarine, but did it anyways. I didn't actually go to any foreign ports. I got stuck on a ballistic missile submarine. It has uh, 24 nuclear missiles on it with multiple missile warheads uh, per missile. I think the unclassified number was something like 128 warheads on, on the whole ship. So every time it went out to sea, it was its own seventh largest nuclear arsenal all by itself. So that was pretty cool. Um, got to do a lot of cool things in the Navy. Uh, that's a whole nother time. I could take up probably an hour just telling you stories about being chased by SEALs, you know, doing a head full, you know, head back maneuvers in the sub. You know, you can see an engine room just pissed off, just condensers popping like popcorn all around you, just some real cool stuff. And the great thing about it is, is you're only like 20 years old to 24 years old, you know, young, impressionable and dumb so you're like oh i could do this or i could do that you know you're smart enough to hurt yourself <laughs> and have fun doing it so what um what theater of operations were you in were you like pacific atlantic so when i got out of school they give you what's called the dream sheet which is almost laughable because it, you know you get to uh, you know put down there what you really want to do in the in the navy did you did, as a kid um you know one of the I think it's a Disney uh, character, Br'er Rabbit. And uh, Br'er Rabbit, you know, uh, tells the fox, I believe, you know, don't don't throw me. Please, please, Mr. Fox, <laughs> don't throw me in the briar patch. But that's exactly where he wants to go. You know, he uses yeah. that reverse psychology and uh, gets thrown in the briar patch. But that's where he lives. You know, now he's safe. Um, I should have tried that. Did you do the Br'er Rabbit approach <laughs> no, and like wasn't that smart. give them give them all these shitty places that you like <laughs> no. are, as your number one choice? And they're like, "No, we're sending this kid to Hawaii." No, no. So I actually I wanted a fast stack at a Pearl. That was my first choice. Okay, you know, let's go to Hawaii. You hear dream stories about Hawaii, so I got turned down for that. And then I thought, you know, I'll take a I'll take a fast attack out of oh, what was it, San Diego? Okay, you know who doesn't love California and San Diego, right? Right. And then I said, I'll take any submarine West Coast just to stay on the West Coast. Because I'd never really traveled a whole lot over there, you know. I grew up kind of listening to the Beach Boys songs, you know, all that crap. So you're like, oh, I'm going to go over there and just, you know, have fun on the West Coast. So I got what we called a slow boat out of, you know, Bangor, Washington, which was a Trident missile submarine. 
which was only operational on the West Coast for about a year before it came over to the East Coast to do a conversion from a ballistic missile submarine to a guided missile submarine. So, so, yeah. So I spent the first two years of the Navy in schooling pretty much, and then I spent about a year and a half of it operational, and then the rest of it was spent in a shipyard. So, you know. I was just curious, like, you know, how much time you actually spent at sea on the boat and, uh, like, you know, it being a submarine, obviously, like yeah. you said, you know, see the world. No, not really. But, <laughs> you know, how often would you guys surface? And, like, was there ever a time, like, where, you know, like, I know, like, on a carrier, uh, it's a big deal to cross the equator. Okay. And, like, th- like it's like work comes to a standstill. There's, like, a big party. Like, people can jump off the deck into the water. Like, does the same thing in the submarine world where you get to, like, surface. Everybody gets to go swimming. You're in a warm place. Yeah, so I crossed the equator once. They call that one the shellback, if I remember everything correctly. Um, But for the sub life, it's quite a bit different, especially on a ballistic missile submarine. Since, like, 1960 or 1970-something, there's been one off the coast of, you know, the West Coast in Alaska, you know, the Pacific Ocean somewhere ready to end the world, and there's one off, you know, the East Coast ready to end the world. And, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's one of these subs ready to end the world. Right. That's their job. So not a whole lot of parties and, like, fun stuff like that, but there is good times. So, you know, the ship I was on... The, the longest patrol, as it was called, I was on for that type of sub is only three months. So that's three months away from home port. You know, nothing really dictates what a sub has to do as far as, you know, we make our own air. We bring enough food on board for a long time. So, you know, when it surfaces, it, you know, it's just doing it mostly for like some communications or just, you know, get the crew topside. So they would do like steel beach picnics and stuff like that where it's just steel like steel beach picnic. Just like, I like it. Sounds. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, you know, they, you know, fire up some cheeseburgers and stuff like that. They, like, roll a grill out there and everything? <laughs> sometimes no they've got it. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's not that, you know, not that glorious. But you got to keep in mind you do have an operational reactor going on, and you have seawater is, like, coming in and out of the sub still, so there is no really shutting her down. So you're right. very confined on where you're swimming and where you're at on the steel beach. Okay. Because you might get a wrong kind of sun suntan on that one. I got you. But uh, uh, I... For the sub I was on, we were supposed to pearl, pull into Pearl. That was our, you know, f- cool port to go check out. So but every time we would go to Pearl, some other sub would break down. I kid you not. And when you could see Pearl Harbor, and then we would get flipped back around and sent back out again. So it wasn't like I ever stepped put in Pearl Harbor at all. I've been there twice, but like... Just never, <laughs> never actually docked. Never <laughs> docked. Oh, wow. So, and then our longest one was, uh, we were nine months from home port, but that's not really as bad as it sounds. We did a lot of that time in San Diego, Point Loma area. Uh, and then eventually I did get to go through the Panama Canal and, uh, Oh, that uh, clearly your, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. canal. And that's order the ditches. They call that one. So that was pretty cool. Order of the ditches. Yeah. Order of the ditch. Um, but unfortunately the time I went through, there was some bad hostile stuff going on in the world. So the crew wasn't allowed topside. So they did these, uh, well, the first thing was, is we met like the night before somewhere off the coast and some private security team, they weren't the seals or anything like that, but geez, for an average guy like you or I, we would never know the difference, you know, guys with lots of machine guns. And then they would set gun turrets up on the sub, all sorts of stuff. 
a sub is about useless on the top of the water without anything. It has no guns to defend itself, really. Like, it submerges and hides. That's what they do. Right. So then we, uh, we went to the ditch, and then we just had, like, a little remote control uh, cameras we could look at. Let's see. We're still recording. I'm just not hearing you. Can you hear me? There I we go. I hear you just fine. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Um, all right. It was my headset went out. Um, so how long did it take you guys to transit the ditch? Uh, you know, that was so long ago now. I think it was a couple of days or no, it wasn't a couple of days. It wasn't that long. If I want to say it'd be less than 24 hours. If I remember right, like I said, the, the, uh, the events of the world weren't so hot then, so it was pretty much a, we had priority to get through it as fast as we can. We didn't have any nuclear missiles on board. We had offloaded them already. It was just basically, I mean... Yeah, but you guys didn't tell anybody that, right? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, Step back. But anyways, so we got through it just fine and then went to Kings Bay, Georgia. Oh. oh. Yeah, if you've been there, you've well, lived life. Well, um, you know, you finished up with the Navy... Yep, I uh, gave them six years, and then they gave me college. That was the original deal, and I I upheld my end of the bargain, and they upheld theirs. Okay, so uh, you still, somewhere in your mind, were thinking about wanting to build boats or be involved with boats? or Yeah, so I started off on a mechanical engineering degree route, and then uh, you know got so far down that route about a year, and I was like, man, this really has nothing to do with boats, you know? So I... Uh, Started researching some stuff, and FAU had a like an ocean engineering program out of uh, Dania Beach area. So I thought, you know, that's me. So, you know, long story short, nothing's ever that easy, right? So I got my uh, ass down to Hollywood, and uh, you know, put some time Florida, in there. Florida, that is. Yeah, started waiting to get in-state tuition for the FAU because it was just so expensive. And at that point in time, you know, I started getting serious and started dating my now wife, and then. You know, towards uh, oh about nine months, it just made more sense for me to move back to Kansas City, where I picked up my uh, you know mechanical engineering degree, uh, kind of paused and picked it up and finished her off, and then went to work doing uh, consulting engineering for a mechanical electrical plumbing design firm, and just hated it. You know, in a fifteen minute drive, you can contemplate many different ways of putting an ice pick through your skull. Like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really that bad. The firm was really cool. You could drink beer after four. You know, all that stuff. Everyone likes to do uh if you're an avid gamer they have video games you know it's a cool place to work but you know that just wasn't me yeah so i got out the old google machine and started figuring out where the nearest boat company was at and uh you know there's some mom and pops close by in kansas city but nothing that would hire you know you know someone expecting more than minimum wage so i found uh you know tracker marine down in clinton missouri was an hour and a half away and you know started going down there and dropping off an application and what i called the uh, the trash can so in order to have a job there, you had to drop off a resume and this... In person. In person in a wire basket at the time. And basically, I can just consider it, you know, a trash can. So you put it in there and never hear back again. And, you know, most people give up on life pretty quick and easy when someone tells them no. But that was never really my jam. So I just kept showing up and put, <laughs> putting some paper in the trash can, right? And uh, So were you, like, it was like any time they had any position open, you were like, as long as I get my foot in the door. So like you were going and putting in a application or a resume each time, any position would open. 
No, um, basically it was just anything engineering related. Um, my wife was in school at the time. We had bills needed paid. So, you know, I was waiting for an engineering type position. Uh, I really wanted to do design engineering, but luck, you know, found that I found myself in production engineering instead. So, you know, production engineer basically brings other people's designs to life. And, uh, I got hired at a really good time where they were completely overdoing all their models out of that factory. So, you know, all the different bass boats, I got to, you know, sit down next to the tooling, talk with the designer who, you know, designed the whole boat, you know, reasons why he did this, reasons why he did that, you know, sitting on top of plugs with him, talking about the hook in the hull, you know, just stuff that like I just dreamed about. Right. And then, the you know, the Tahoe line, it's a runabout, same kind of story. Why, hey, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? You know, with those boats, if it ain't sexy, it ain't going to sell. So all that stuff you have to learn about. And then, uh, you know, over the next year and a half or so, I got to do some really cool stuff with them. You know, Johnny Morris, who owns Bass Pro Cabela's, he bought out the Triton Ranger line Stratus and... You know, it started making more sense to have all the bass boats built together, or at least the Triton and the Nitro line. So I got to go down there and learn two different models of the Tritons. But, you know, you let a kid go in a candy shop. Tim Williams is uh, free to roam in a boat building place. So well, how's the Ranger built? You know, so I'll hang around in lamination and watch some Rangers be built. How's the Stratus built? Let's check that out. Let's check Triton out. I mean, it's just a dream for me. Right. So I got to run around that place for a while, learn as much as I could, and then... Um, you know, brought two of the Tritons up, like I said. And then after that, you know, it started dawning on me that, you know, I'm driving three hours a day, you know, you start watching semis get flipped upside down and people crashing and then you you got to believe one day that's you and you don't want it to be you. So you know, I started talking to my friends about, you know, Jen and I are going to move closer to the factory. And, you know, they said, you know, if you move an hour outside of the city, we ain't going to visit you. You ain't going to visit us. There is no more Wednesday dinner when you get off work at 6 and you got to drive an hour and a half back to the city, right? Like, that's just not going to happen. So Jen and I started, we're talking, and, you know, we started looking to head back to Florida. So and that's what we did. Sold everything we pretty much owned, uh, except for a small U-Haul, you know, some belongings and effects. And, you know, Josephine was only, I want to say, one and a half at the time. So got her up, and we headed down here. So... You know, uh, luckily Jen is in health, you know, the health industry. So she was able to get a job pretty quick in Florida. And then, uh, you know, I did boats. So I was lucky enough to find a job as well. And so, where was that here? Uh, I got a job at Edgewater Power Boats. You know, when you start thinking about Florida, there's boat companies everywhere. So and I started getting out the old Google again and found between the difference between Tampa and, you know, Edgewater had a lot of boat builders, you know, a lot of big boat builders and, you know, started applying for jobs and was lucky enough that um, Edgewater Power Boats wanted to hire me. So, And what was your role at Edgewater? Uh, same thing, production engineer. Um, I did about one and a half boats with them, and then it was time. You know, RV uh, industry was in the shitter, as I like to call it, and uh, boat usually followed behind, you know, the marine industry followed behind RV by about six months on, you know, usual. And so... It, you know, it started to look pretty appealing. Quit my job, you know, do all the plug work, do everything myself, you know, get it all brought up during a recession and then, you know, start riding, you know, easy free market with everyone wanting to buy boats. Yeah, except for if we all check our timeline. Tim Williams quit the quit his job at the stupidest time. <laughs> COVID hit and 
uh, everything takes off like bang- gangbusters, and I'm uh, I'm on sideline making plugs with Carl Granger in a shop in Holly Hill. Okay, so um, I actually have a couple of questions that I want to back you up a little bit. Um, so at the time that you applied for work with like uh, Tracker Marine, mm-hmm. um, was there any requirement other than the fact that you were an engineer, um, like, you know, any boat building experience or anything mm-hmm. like that? Um, yes, yes, but at that time I was taking some naval architecture classes with Westlawn, and if you got me in a room with someone and I could talk boats, I mean, that was just, you could tell pretty quick. I mean, I looked pretty goofy with my anchor tie on and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, you kind of looked the part and just the willingness to learn was a big part of it. Okay. Um... But definitely, you know, the mechanical aptitude of being in the Navy had helped out a lot because they knew I could do anything and be learned, you know, be taught how to do it. Right. The drive to want to just drive an hour and a half out there, like, uh, it only proved itself when, like, there was a major snowfall one year, and I drove an hour and a half to get there in my car, and there were guys who could have walked in 10 minutes, weren't there, and you're like, you know, the the line literally became, if Tim is here, you will be here. Right. Like, there's no excuses at that point, right? So, yes, to answer your question, there was some, uh, you know, requirement, but... So, um, to that end, did you uh, ever share with them during the hiring pro- process um, the plywood or OSB boat that you built when you were uh, a wee lad in middle school? Let's yeah. hear that story. Oh, yeah, I probably did. So when you're a kid, you don't know any better. You just want to have fun. So I decided I was going to build myself, you know, a fairly large boat. This this would be the first uh, Tim Williams uh, boat, right? Yeah, yeah. First model. I'm still alive to tell you about it, so it's pretty good. It must have been somewhat successful. Uh, Or not. But anyway, so I was living in a relatively new, like, neighborhood, and I thought I'm going to go ahead and make me something. So I would go scour the, you know, the build sites and... You know, every new construction site has build piles, you know, so I would pull scrap pieces of whatever I could find, you know, whatever flavor of, you know, you're hoping is plywood or something out and I drag it back to my garage and, you know, what divorced mom of three has plenty of time to watch a 12 year old boy with power tools, right? And like, let's go ahead and get the skill saw out here. Uh, So I built myself what could only be described best as very Neanderthalic canoe. Uh... All out of that material. You know, there was like some two-by-fours in there, and everything was kind of screwed to that, and then the paddle was literally like... Is it like, like a... Alan Jackson's old uh, plywood boat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyways, so I got done with that thing in like January in Kentucky, and it's cold enough. Uh, so I got it out in the middle of this big pond, and, uh, you know, the materials weren't quite up to it. So the paddle started dissolving first, and then, you know, if you if you only have a paddle on it, and, you know, then you have a stick, you're not really going too far. And then the whole boat started dissolving and sinking on me. So eventually it dumped me out in a fairly large pond in the middle of January. And it was all I could do to get back to the shore. You know, it's completely at the bottom of the pond and back to my house. You know, I can remember to this day the muscles just wouldn't have stopped working. And you, know, you wonder if it was just a little bit further out, like had I, would I had made it in time right. before the muscles just seized up. But 
No, luckily I got back, stripped down naked out in the driveway, got warmed up, and then thought, man, I'll probably build it as something different next time. Right. You know, fast forward now, at least, you know, 12 years after that, then you're like, material selection is very important. Very important. <laughs> very important. So, uh, you uh, have gotten to the point now in our timeline that you have left um, big corporate boat. And Razorfish is being born. Um, tell us about the first shop that you got from the doctor. <laughs> so now I know you've definitely been talking to people. Oh, I, don't, I don't think we've ever talked about the first absolutely shop. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I do my research when I talk to somebody. So there's only one of two people who'd ever... Uh, that the circles that you run in who would uh, talk about that sort of the best of circles I'm sure uh, so being dumb my wife worked for a doctor who had more buildings than he knew what to do with and they were in fairly disrepair so next time you're up in you know on North Beach Street in Daytona Daytona Beach there's an old, old Coca-Cola bottling facility it has 40,000 square feet and only about 5,000 square feet of actual usable roof. Uh, <laughs> so the deal was is I would clean out all this muck in there from, you know, a hurricane 10 years ago that flooded out a factory uh, storage facility for furniture. And in return, I'd get free space. You know, and when you're, a, I like to call it an asshole with a dream because everyone's an asshole with a dream, right? Like that sounds like amazing. Free, nothing's free in life. Free storage, free and I can work on boats. Well, it's and called be sweat arrest. equity. Yeah. So that one definitely shaved a few years off of my life with all the mold and fungus growing in there. And the doctor's not willing to spend any money on it. And you're trying to say, well, how are you supposed to put it back together if you're not putting money in it? You know, I'm definitely holding up my end of the bargain. Like, it was nasty. I think I hold like 10 huge dumpsters dumpsters were the crap out of there uh i took pictures of all of it because it was just just stuff you wouldn't believe it didn't even have a boom boomer in it so i couldn't mention that place without you know carl would get very pissed if i didn't mention his boom boom room but anyways so we tried renting out a section of it you know i was building the plug in there i had a mentor and stuff well slow it down a little bit i'd now, as an engineer, I always worked with the tools. I, you know, I know all the best case scenarios. You know, I've read every book there is, you know, about, not every book, obviously, but about boat manufacturers, fiberglass boat building, you know. I've read books on how to build it out of cement, how to build it out of wood. I even read an interesting story where you could literally build a great boat out of toilet paper and resin and some cardboard if you know how to do it, right? Right. But anyways, uh... So we decided to go ahead and rent out a section to a guy, and we found a guy, actually a couple guys. There was three guys at the time, and uh, they were trying to start their own boat company as well, as well as doing you know fiberglass and boat repair. Uh, so anyways, got them in there, and then um, you know I built a boat in there just for fun, essentially, out of fiberglass. You know, built a nice boat, and then you know went to work on Razorfish. You know, started, uh, you know, making the hull plug in there. And then it became very evident, you know, that that wasn't going to work anymore. You know, it sounds like a great idea, but pretty soon you're working 20 hours a week, you know, on someone else's project, which was the, the warehouse. And then the renters left because uh, 
Oh, many reasons. I think the first one was is a breaker for the building blue, and that breaker was 1200 bucks. And the owner thought that the guys who were renting the place should pay for a $1,200 breaker, and they thought otherwise as well. But in the end, the owner of the building came to his senses and bought the $1,200 breaker. And then uh, the owner hadn't paid the water bill in like literally like a decade or something. There was like a $9,000 backlog on a water bill for a building that had no tenants in it. Like, how does that work out? And again, guess who we thought should pay that? Something's leaking. Yeah. <laughs> There's some weird stuff going on in there. But anyways... So I actually went on vacation, and I got a call from the renters, and they're like, hey, man, we're gone. I was like, I don't blame you. And then about that time, the writing was on the wall to get out of there. But, you know, the plug was only about half. The writing plug was really only about halfway done, the hull. So it was time to put everything kind of in storage. And then um, at that time, I renovated my home after that. You know, my wife and I bought a really good deal home, of course. And then, of course, that needs renovated, of course. Um. And then pretty soon I heard, you know, a guy that I had, you know, rented a spot to through the doctor was, you know, had his own spot. And then I started, you know, hitting him up to rent a spot from him. So right. the roles kind of switched. Sure. And then, uh, so that was pretty much the end of the first shop and on to the second shop. And so. And that's where you pretty much finished up the prototype. Yeah. The, you know, the second shop is actually where boats... The, pro, the demo boat and up to boat number four were built. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I rented like 500 square feet from, you know, the owner of that shop. You know, let's just get this out of here. You know, that's Carl. I rented from Carl. We yeah. all know Carl. Yeah, let's say absolutely. Carl. You know, there's no weird, like, cloak dagger guy. Well, if you know Carl, maybe a little bit cloak and dagger. But uh, Anyways, great guy. He rented me a space, 500 square feet. He had a lot of projects going on in there. You know, he was working hard. And, you know, it's pretty hard to build a boat in 500 square feet. You know, you got to consider the tool for the hull is 17 feet long by the time you have all the flanges on it. You know, you're coming in at a close to six feet wide. You start doing your math. You need a hull, a deck, and then you need some small parts. 500 square feet is pretty well, you know, shot to shit at that point. So basically, I was building a boat in the breezeway between the shop and pushing things back and forth into storage. Uh, Not real storage, but that was my 500 square feet. So that was pretty interesting. But it just goes to show, if you want to do something, a lot of people make excuses, try to get your way out of doing it. But if you truly want to do something, there is not anything. Yeah, you said it earlier. There's nothing going to hold you back. If you want to do something, you will find a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, definitely not glorious. Um, you know, driving to Holly Hill from New Smyrna, there's a lot of, uh, interesting things to look at as soon as you get into, you know, the Daytona beach area, especially on a US one. Yeah. Especially after a full moon the night before you could, you didn't even have to look at the sky. I could tell you, you could drive down that road and you knew instantly what the moon phase was the night before. So, um, but anyways, Holly Hill was great. It was close to a boat ramp. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys in that section who love boats, very passionate about boats. There's a guy across the street, you know, Blake. Uh-huh. Blake had his shop there, and if there's a guy who loves, it was kind boats, of like a little just... little enclave of boat tinkers, repairmen, designers, builders. Everybody like you know had their own little thing that they kind of contributed to that little community that was going on there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Actually, no, I I correct that. There's three people now. You know, the third one just popped in my head. Uh, 
Yeah, there was a whole group of guys who just loved boats, drinking beer in the evenings. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, uh, you know, I did miss out on a fair amount of drinks in the evenings, but I would, you know, rush home to get the kids and get that going. Right. But, uh, you know. Which who, that, that's a whole different set of rewards that, you know. You oh, would, no, I'm very fortunate for being absolutely. able to spend time with a family. Uh, but I think more work gets done during the daytime between like eight and four during that section of the day with just one guy working than probably the amount of work that happened and got done <laughs> between five and 11 for sure with at least four guys working. So I'm, sure. gu- I'm guessing there was a little bit different there, but you know, I would bet Carswell is its own little primordial ooze. You know, I know of another boat company that got their start, you know, off of Carswell there. Uh, so that's an interesting little street. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, um, uh, an innovation hub. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could, <laughs> you could say it like that. Yeah. One thing's for sure, great group of guys down at Carswell. Everyone's having fun trying to, you know, do their thing. Got that hustle. So uh, tell me a little bit about um, getting that first customer. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if, if, if you fancy yourself someone somewhat intelligent and you go to design something... And you've got that all the way down. And you know how to do spreadsheets to track your cost, and you got that down. At one point, do you think it should have crossed your mind that you have to sell the fucking thing? Not once. Not once did it go through my head that I'd ever thought, oh, you have to sell the damn thing. Like, right. Like, I can build this, no problem. Maybe that's arrogant. Maybe it's not. Who knows? And then you're like, there's a really big oh shit moment. Like, I got to sell this. I've got to. Well, well, that's not me, though. Like, I am not that sales guy. Like, I mean, I've, I've worked for restaurants as a as a host and a server. I mean, I could try to upcharge you something. I can tell you about the special. <laughs> yeah, I got the special for you. You know, hey, would you, you know, like to add a brownie sundae tonight? You know, $3.99. But actually, you know, selling a product of some sort, no experience with that. So, uh, you know, everyone says websites. I've never done a website before. So I got on there and tore apart a website three times before I was still embarrassed about it. And then, uh, you know, uh, another great mentor of mine is Brian Floyd, Floyd's Gifts. Brian's an amazing guy. Uh, typically in the boat building industry, you know, the the owners are very, oh, I don't know what the right word is for it. Standoffish. Yeah. But, Secretive. Yeah, I don't know exactly what causes that. I wouldn't say that I'm that way with most boat builders uh, that I've met. Um, it definitely hasn't been reciprocated sometimes. But with Brian, Brian's amazing. Brian's always been nice to me. You know, he's always gave me pointers, and basically Brian, you know, gave me a little bit of a roadmap to go down. And, you know, by all means, he had no reason to do that. I don't think you look at my product and you think, oh, I'm going to go from here to Brian's product. And I don't think a guy looking at Brian's boat says, oh, let's check out a Razorfish. Two way different, you know, markets. Yeah, I think that people that get it, not get it in the boat industry, they get it in life, understand that there's going to be plenty of buyers for boats. And if you help me and I help you, we're both going to be successful. And, you know, if you went away, I couldn't provide all the boats for all those people that are going to want boats anyway. So I may as well be nice to you and help you along because there's going to come a day where I might need to come to you and say, hey, I think this is in your wheelhouse. Can you help me with this issue? 
And I think Brian's kind of that pragmatic guy that gets, oh, yeah. um, I mean, it's, uh, what, what do they say? You get more flies with honey than vinegar. Oh, for sure. That guy's amazing. And, you know, I've been fortunate to work with him, you know, do some things for him. Uh, you know, nothing big, earth shattering, or anything like that. A guy like Brian and Heidi can do anything they want, need to. Right. Um, so anyways, Brian gave me a list and he said, hey, try this out. It worked for me. And sure as hell it worked, you know. They said uh, one of the things was go down to Harry Goods in Melbourne. You know, set up shop out there. Um, so I had a couple trial and error practices. I would go to, you know, a similar style shop and then, um, you know, try to give them the elevator pitch, if you will. But then I realized that that wasn't working. And luckily I had done a couple of these beforehand. So when I got to go talk to Rich down in Melbourne at Harry Goods, I kind of learned just to shut the fuck up. I mean, I'll be plainly honest. Right. Tim Williams comes walking in there, and you're basically going to tell him to walk back out. I'm not cool. I don't wear cool sunglasses. I don't have a cool hat. You know, nothing trendy about me. So I just basically started saying, hey, I've got this boat. I think you should look at it. And they said, oh, okay, kind of busy. I'm like, you like boats? And who doesn't like boats, especially in Florida? So anyways, and then get out. And then, you know, the RZ-15 is so different. You know, most people want to know more about it. Sure. So that's where I kind of learned, you know, maybe I should just shut up. So let the boat do the let the boat do the talking. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just me, but if you look at a boat, you know, they all do a lot of talking. Whether or not they're actually saying anything is a different thing. But you can read a book and you can read a boat. You can walk your put your hands over top of her, you know, run your hands down the hull side, check out different things on it, and you kind of starts telling you a story about what it is, what it's going to do for you. And uh, so I just let her do the talking. You know, didn't need me to, to screw it up, that's for sure. And then Rich was like, yeah, this is definitely uh, something I'll put in front of my shop. So, Which really becomes a win-win because you're getting the exposure of people that obviously are fishing, spending time on the water. They're coming to his shop because of that reason. Mm-hmm. They're seeing the boat. And then there's also people that may be passing by and go, whoa. Honey, did you see that boat? I've never seen that kind of boat before. Let's go over here to Harry Goods and check out that new boat. Yeah. And it brings people through his door. So, you know, pretty, you know, good relationship to have right there. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd say it's a good relationship. Uh, I wouldn't kid myself to think that I brought in untold millions for Rich and Harry Goods. But definitely, you know... It's in front of the shop, and they're driving by, and they see it. You know, we had people yelling at us from before from the street, trying to get flyers because they couldn't stop. They, you know, if you've ever been to a store before, you know it's a pretty rough intersection in front of it. Absolutely. Um, and then we had one guy call the shop, and he was in his truck, and he's like, I can't go right now, but I got to know more. As he's calling the shop and talking to uh, Bill was there at the time, uh-huh. if you've ever met Bill. I have. Uh, you know, and it was, a, it was a, you know, it's a good time every time we go down there. So, so is um, having the boat at Harry Good where Bebo saw the boat? Yeah, Bebo is um, a great guy, amazing person, great life stories all around Bebo. I mean, if you have a name like Bebo, Bebo James, um, I met Bebo uh, in 2000. Six, um, and fished his operation, which I think was called Into the Blue. Yes, um, in South Caicos, 
and it was absolutely an amazing time. Um, I'm actually sad to hear that that's no longer a reality. Um, probably the most odd yet probably one of the more fun bonefish trips that I've ever been on. Um, with it being, um, an airboat that, uh, you run the flats in, but, uh, you know, very cool little Island, uh, South Caicos, um, old wild donkeys, um, walking around the Island, uh, from back when they used to, uh, have the salt, uh, production. Uh, I think they even call them a salt mine, but it's like they flood an area with seawater, let it evaporate. And then they come in and they scrape it up and they used these donkeys instead of tractors until tractors became more widely available. So what is, what happens in the Bahamas or the Turks and Caicos when something has reached its limit of usefulness? They ignore it. it <laughs> and, and that's what happened with the donkeys. They just like let them. So now there's these old donkeys walking around. And I mean, if you've ever seen like, an old carving of like that chiseled, grizzled, old seafaring captain. Imagine that as a donkey. And that's what you have walking around. Like they barely have any hair on them. They're just like old, slow and tired. Sun bleached. Sun bleached. (laughs) Just, you know, um, and tan, but, uh, yeah. Um, so, I know Bebo. Bebo is uh, is a kindred spirit, a great guy, and he actually has an RZ fifteen. Yeah, so down in Turks and Caicos now that he's utilizing. Yeah, he does. Um, kind of a really cool scenario with that. Uh, Bebo is working with um, a new company, and they're starting a whole new thing, kind of similar to what he was doing on his own before. It's the um, East Bay Resort in South Caicos, and what they're doing is, you know, instead of doing the paddle boards and the airboats, he has a different setup. So now he uses an RZ-15 close, you know, closer to the island and with one person on it. That way they can bring him out and do some fly fishing or some instruction and then he's running uh, one of Brian's boats, one of a Floyd skiff, you know, out into the deeper waters or to, um, you know, a flat that's further away. And then he can get more people on one of Brian's boats. So it's a really, you know, cool story with that. I spent, you know, 30 hours with Bebo, I think, before they made the purchase, you know, just to make sure everything's right. You know, he would come up and he would run the boat and then he would paddle the boat and then he would pull the boat and then... You know, at some point, like, it was just fun to hang out with him. Like, you know, I don't really care about, you know, selling a boat, to be honest with you. If you want my boat, you've got to want it because I'm not going to be the guy pushing you to buy it. Right, so, right. So I'm, I'm happy, you know, I the, get to hang out with The boat either people. speaks to you and you want it or, hey, man, it was nice talking to you. Yeah, and I think in the beginning, you know, you don't want a guy out there or a girl out there who's bought a boat, was pushed into it in a high sales, and then six months later there's some buyer remorse and, you know, all that sort of jazz. So, you know, you come out, you know, if it speaks to you like we were talking about, then she speaks to you. And if she doesn't, she doesn't. And, uh, you know, guaranteed, we had some great conversation, got to meet some cool people along the way. And, you know, just, ha- you know, just having a great time meeting people and selling boats and stuff. So you've got, 
an RZ15 um, down in Turks and Caicos. You've got, um, I know, Brian from WWE um, up in Port Orange yeah. has one here locally. He, yeah. he can be seen running around like the uh, Spruce Creek uh, disappearing island kind of Halifax River all the time. Oh yeah, Brian is I get I get, I get calls about Brian's boat. Uh I got one uh a week ago running the Tomoka Basin. It has to had to have been Brian uh-huh. by the description of it. Brian fishes more than anyone else that I've ever met legitimately. Like you know, when I would go to work in Holly Hill, I would cross over, I think we I call them the Three Sisters bridges if you're familiar with mm-hmm. it. And there's Brian's car and you know, Brian's trailer and Sometimes I'd park the truck and get out and walk over. And then, hey, there's Brian down there. Hey, Brian. And then, you know, shoot this shit with him. That guy is always on the water running stuff. He is, you know, amazing. But anyways. Where where else uh, have you um, had uh, your boats go? So I have one down in Melbourne. She is a very, uh, very interesting striking boat. She's, you know, black hull bottom, very you know, dark blue on the top and black powder coated. So she's running around down in Melbourne. And then there's another one in Melbourne. Um, you know, uh, one guy bought it and then him and his brother fish it with their girlfriends all the time. Uh, cool thing about that boat is, is they called me one time and they were fishing the Everglades and they decided to run to Isla Morada. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, cool. I was like, how'd that work out for you? He's like, yeah, we just cut it straight across. And I was like, I was like, how, how was your experience with that? Because, you know, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, or at least I am. I'm always waiting. And he's like, dude, it was amazing. He's like, it was so much fun. The boat did really good. He's like, you know, my buddy was in another boat, and he's, like, watching it. We're videotaping, and he said it just ran really well and had a good time. I was like, it's like, okay, great. I never really intended her for it to go maybe that far between land masses. Right. But, you know, so at least they were happy with it and everything like that. Um so, and then I have one based out of Ocala right now. So the gentleman who owns that, it's pretty, really cool. He, uh, he's coming down the boat building ladder, as so many people do. You know, he's had larger fishing boats, and now he wants something smaller. So then I have one in New Smyrna, luckily. That was a pretty cool story. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Nanocraft. Yes. Yeah, another great guy. Uh, I think Alan is his name. I've never met Alan, but uh, I definitely owe him a big thank you. Um, a guy went to go visit him. I think he's at a Sarasota and he just stopped him. He said, you know, I think you need to go check out Razorfish, you know, out of Razor, uh, Edgewater. I think, I think that's the boat for you. And he's like, well, I, I live in New Samir and I should have probably known about him. And he's like, well, just check it out, I guess. And so he said he, he got on there and found me on the internet and, you know, he gave me a call and he's like, Hey, I want to come check you out. I'm like, sure. Yeah. Anytime you want. He shows up and he says, yeah, I'm buying one. I was like, Okay, sure you are. And he's like, "No, I got my checkbook. Here it is." And I was like, "Okay, that was pretty simple and easy." Right. So, and mean, then uh, you've got w- one more out in Texas, right? Yeah the the demo boat. That's a bittersweet, you know, sweet for your baby. Uh, yeah. So uh, I posted her up for sale, and um, a gentleman and his wife and their dog Rosie out of Texas uh, road tripped all the way over here for it. So. Uh, you really want to, what is it, cross your eyes and dot your T's when that's happening because you don't want to look stupid. But I did look stupid on that that instance. I did mess up their uh, their MSO, so I had to redo that for them. But 
anyways, they road tripped all the way here, got the boat back, and have been sending me amazing pictures. So they'll start showing up on the Instagram here more and more. All right. Well, that, I think, uh, gives us a real good flavor for how you got your start um, building your own skiff. Um, obviously, the uh, early success of Razorfish thus far, um, you know, uh, that's a pretty wide, wide cast of uh, places that your boat is being used successfully. So I think uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, there's kind of a second chapter that's uh, being written over at Razorfish, and we'll kind of get into that. So uh, we'll take a break. You can get another one of those uh, porters if you'd like. And we'll continue our chat here momentarily. Yeah, it's a good thing we got the Navy stories out of the way already. There you go. Another beer, and that might be, you know, <laughs> some either really good stories or <laughs> some all my blackmail will be released all at once. My daddy was all right, we'll be right back. My mama was sinner. Papa was an old freight train. With my uncle like hunting and the other like fishing, Lord, my aunts nearly drove me insane. With my brother's a hero, my sister's an angel, and I never meant to cause them no pain. Yes, my heavy drinker, and I'm also a thinker. I think that's a damn crying shame It's just like it's a shame to see a woman It's my trash and pretty It's a shame to see a truck and don't run It's a shame that I'm so rich when I ain't got no money It's a shame I We are back, and uh, as I alluded to going into the break, um, not only is Tim currently offering the RZ-15, which is uh, the Razorfish original, um, you had the opportunity to uh, expand Razorfish's offering by acquiring the rights to uh, some molds um, from the company formerly known as Bossman Boats. Yeah, <clears throat> it's kind of a sad story, and then you know, hopefully, bring a happy ending to it. But um, we've all heard of Bossman Boats, and unfortunately, the owner had you know passed away relatively quick, and you know didn't have a succession plan for the company taking some deposits on some boats and shop closed up and you know everyone just basically started stealing left and right from the company and just ripping it apart so you know i kind of watched at the time wasn't really you know really knowing where that was going years later but um you just kind of you know watched watched it on facebook watched parts come up for sale uh, i think even you know some of those parts came across carswell even I think I remember a gas tank or something like that showing up and 
Where'd you get that? Oh. Right. And then uh heard once a rumor about a sale where everything was sold or something and then you know, then I you know started thinking about that time, you know. I'm fairly proficient at fiberglass at this point and you know, I'm making a boat, why not see what's going on with that? So I started digging into that more and more and uh, I started picking Carl's brain quite a bit, whether he knew it or not. You know, I knew he had been around, you know, and, you know, asking him questions. And, you know, he might have had an epiphany at this point. And be like, oh, he, you know. So then it got to the point and then uh, had noticed that all the molds had been acquired by one person. And then, you know, let some time go by. And then, you know, can we make something happen? And the answer was yes. Uh Fortunate for me, you know, you never know. Don't be a prick to anyone because, you know, might come back and meet them again in another life. But I'd met the individual through uh, Edgewater Power Boats. He was supplying them with uh, with some parts for the boats, and he'd already knew who I was and, you know, knew of my capabilities. And, you know, I'd worked, you know, right next to the guy before, you know, doing different things. He knew my uh, approach to things. Uh I think I've said it before, but I don't go to a metalworker guy and tell him how to build metalwork. I don't go to a cushion guy and sit there to try to explain to him how to build cushions. I say, I need a great metal, you know, pulling platform, and I need some really good cushions, or I need this, or I need a great running trailer. You know, you do your thing, and let's make it work. Right. Uh, you know, the put the pieces of the team together. Exactly. I've met lots of engineers who, you know, I'm an engineer. I've got a big something, 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 and I know everything when you really don't know anything. You know, the people who master in their art do their art. So, uh, you know, he knew I was, and it, we, you know, we went and had some beers, you know, some food, talked it over, worked out some details, and then turned it over to some lawyers and let them figure out all the actual stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of contracts because uh, so much happens with boats. It's usually in a bar, and uh, usually there's some beverages drank, and then whether you're doing something with boat companies or individual boats, then somewhere along the way, uh, maybe some confusion over what Somebody was said. Somebody misremembers. Exactly. And then, uh, so no one likes to whip out a contract when you're in the middle of, uh, you know, sealing the deal on anything boat related, but kind of has to happen that way. It's a roadmap. It's a good roadmap to tell you exactly what happens. So, you know, I had one of those made and then, um, move some molds. Um, uh, we set it out to social media, and I had always knew from talking to Carl and doing my own research that the ones I was really after were the Carmen, the tail spotter. Um, there, there's some good boats, you know, some good horses in that stable, but those were the ones that had the right amount of sex appeal, the right amount of fishability, the right amount of being different that I was after. Um, part of the deal was, though, I had to take two others with it. Uh, they really wanted me to take all six models, but... Uh, you know, two of them I really just couldn't bring on. There was just, it, it was just, didn't fit the mantra, if you will. Didn't make sense. Yeah. Didn't fit your genre. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with those boats. Um, it's just that, like I said, if you got to sell it, you got to believe it. Right. So, or you, you got to know it. You got to walk it. Um, and there's two of them weren't, weren't for me. So, you know, went to social with it and the karma came back, you know. Everyone, we got to see this one again. So that's what we focused on. We made the demo boat for that. And at the same time, I was like, oh, you know, I was going through that, building a boat. I thought, well, what, what is going to make this Karma different than a typical clade style skiff, you know? And I was like, well, I could do a, 
you know, casting platform on it. And I started thinking it more and more. I was like, well, I could do, why not just have it come out of the deck? I'm like, oh, that's, that's not terribly hard. So then, you know, again, that's something that lives in your, you know, head for months. And a guy like me, you know, it's, it's in the back of your skull. You're running it through its paces in your head. You know, you're dreaming it, you're thinking it, you know, you're moving it. How does this work? How does that work? Uh, what if it breaks? You know, a guy's going to really hate Tim Williams really quick if he's fishing and something happens and he can't keep fishing. Like that's a quick way to piss anyone off. So I thought, well, if it breaks, it's better be able to be fixed pretty quick or at least not further hamper the fishing. Right. So there's different things, you know, tricked in with it. And then um, after that, it's got to live in a computer for a while. So I kind of skipped the whole paper process with it, you know. You know, computers are kind of the drawing paper, you know, that old engineers of the past used to use. You can draw it just as quick in CAD and all that sort of stuff. And that's when you start figuring out tolerances and clearance issues, all that sort of stuff. And then um, typically I'd like to build stuff out of wood, but I was fairly confident in that one. So I went straight to metal with it. You know, I had a, a great welder weld me up the, the contraption and, you know, bench tested it. I think you stopped by once when I was bench testing it. And uh, first things first is, you know, it's got to be somewhat safe, you know, uh, all the way safe. You know, identified some areas that I thought maybe were weak, but nothing was breaking or anything, but maybe just let's go ahead and beef it up and then uh, put it on the boat. So that, you know, just showcases what we can do for people. Um, I've added casting butt seats to boats before, which is kind of, I found out, like kind of a big, oh, I don't know what you want to call it, like a misnomer maybe. I get kind of scoffed at that when I talk skiffs with people. What do you mean? The skiff's got to have a casting seat on it? Well, you want to be comfortable while you're fishing, don't you? Like Right. So I've done those for people too. Uh, so yeah, and then finished her up and, you know, had a great uh, release at the uh, thingy before the dinghy. And then with that boat, we were able to get a dealer out of it. So it, we haven't really talked about it a whole lot yet. We're finishing the boat for them now. We've had some, you know, some setbacks. But uh, a couple of hurricanes. Yeah, a couple of hurricanes. Maybe a personal house of mine flooded out. But it goes just goes to show, like, if you know who I am, if I take your money, you're getting a boat. Like, I don't care if hell or high water comes. That's right. Literally high water. <laughs> Literally high water. Uh, you're getting a boat. It might be a little delayed, but you're getting a boat. Uh, but no, it's uh, Delta Marine Outfitters out of Alabama. You know. Peter Jordan's the, uh, you know, one of the managing partners, one of the owners, and he's a great guy, and he saw it, and uh, he happens to be, if I understand the story correct, uh, good friends with one of the original guys who helped bring the karma back online in her first, you know, her first life before she was reborn, and, uh, you know, they got to talking unbeknownst to me, and then, you know, the rest is history. So he's committed to buying everything that we can uh, make, which I've heard from both dealers before and usually that's not the case but when someone cuts a check then you know it's real right so uh we got that in the hopper um and then you're working on the one that you're going to deliver to him first is different than what folks saw at the uh thingy before the dinghy insofar as it's not only going to be a tiller model you're actually doing a side console for them, correct? That is correct. Uh, Peter's actually a guide himself. Um, he has a thing he calls Lost Angler. And he basically built, from what I understand, his dream boat. You know, It's going to be a black hull, white deck. Um, 
casting platform, polling platform, side console. Um, and then he specified that every box on it be insulated. Um, you know, Alabama, he says not a single boat gets sold in Alabama without a trolling motor on it. So if it can't take a trolling motor, I don't want it. So it's got to be able to take a trolling motor, whether or not it gets sold or not. So she's ready for that. Uh, it's been a fun boat to build. One of the things that, um, you know, I've come and, uh, you know, hung out at the shop and uh, checked out your production. Um, whether I order a Karma or an RZ for myself um, with the intention of putting, uh, having you deliver it with uh, a trolling motor, let's say. Um, you always build the boat so that in the future, if I decide later, a year down the road, two years down the road, or five days after I take delivery, that I want to upgrade and put that on the boat, you build your boats in a way that it's a simple process to add it, and structurally, it's already set up for it. Well, that is correct. The boat has got to be ready for whatever it gets down the road structurally. Right. So, uh, yeah, I won't go into the details too much, but I spend a lot of time in shops or in warranty departments looking at stuff and reading, you know, Yeah, I'm not asking surveys. you to put out the special sauce, but, you know, th- that is something that I think is unique to how you build. You... You know, you've done the what are what is it that the other guys are not doing? Right. And you know, typically when somebody bought skiff A, B, or C, and they decided that they wanted to put something on, and they go in and they say, "Hey, let's mount a trolling motor up here." There's a discussion about, well, we're going to have to put something, you know, back here to take care of this, you know, to give her and that was one of those areas where you were like, well, I'll just build mine so that when somebody does that, I go, oh, okay, no problem. We're ready for you. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, she's ready for it, whatever you want to throw at her, and then uh, she'll take some more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? Uh, so um, you've you've got the, we'll call it the demo, um, Karma, right oh, now yeah <laughs> fun bu- fun fun skiff to run uh i've personally ran it not a bunch but you know just a little bit and uh you've got that new side console that's headed up to the gentleman there in alabama and uh the other model that you're uh thinking is going to come out next would be uh, right now, it's looking like the tail spotter is going to be the next in the hopper. Not okay. for sure when she's going to come out. We've got some um, we've got some other really cool stuff going on in the shop at the moment. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll start her in about a month or so. Okay. So, you know, that boat's going to be a really fun boat to build. Um, she's different in the way that her rods are stored. If you're familiar with the tail spotter, she has a uh, locking rod storage on the on the gunnels. So that'll be cool. And then she's got a really sexy style line on the hull side. Um, sets her apart. And, of course, she'll be built my way. So, you know. You guys, um, the difference, I think, anybody that w- we'll call it a legacy um, 
boss man uh, versus a razorfish uh, model. You're actually doing vacuum infusion. Mm-hmm, that's correct. So um, just the level of build and quality has taken uh, a big change uh, in what, what you would expect to see in the quote-unquote Bossman line. Right. So um, what, um, what other things would you say um, would be a difference between, you know, a legacy Bossman and what you're doing? You know, with boats, I always believe there's more to the boat than the boat. It's, you know, the whole how she was born, how she was brought into the world and all that sort of stuff. So with that, you know, it's just the structural makeup of the boat is the biggest thing. You know, some of the wiring goes bad. Who really cares? You can get wiring fixed. But if the core, if the sole of the boat is kind of not there, it's, you know, you're not going to really have much to improve upon. So with our boats, I like to really say that the the core, the structure is there. The you know, you know, I'll get hit for it in an argument somewhere, but who cares? I'll take it. I'll say it. I build what I like to kind of call an heirloom quality boat. I want my boat to go on to maybe your grandkid or something like that. I don't want it to have to get substantial, you know, fixing or go to another shop to get torn apart and kind of put back together again. My boats, I'd really like them to stick together for you. So if I'm going to take the hit for a ding for a little weight, sure, I'll take that hit all day long, and I'll love it. I'll say, yep. But that's that's the biggest difference is the structure and then, you know, the wiring, uh, the warranty behind the boat, um, just basically the core, the heart, and the soul of it. All right, fair enough. Um, one of the questions that I was asked to relay to you um, Probably in the last three to five years, um, there's been an explosion of guys building their own skiffs, like one-off skiffs. What are your thoughts on that little... Is it a fad? Is it something that's here to stay? Is it a good idea, a bad idea in your estimation? Does it impact you as a boat builder? That's a good question. So are we looking for the 5,000 feet flyover on this one? Are we looking for the the Tim Williams's answer to this? And maybe it takes a little three minutes longer, but it's the whole answer. Which one are you let's, going for? Let's have the whole answer. I want a, a full strafe run. Uh, so the quick and dirty, just get it out of the way, is no, no, I don't. If, if someone wants to build a boat and they're building a boat, it is not the same market as a guy who wants to buy a boat. You know, it's a whole different aspect. It's a whole different feeling. It's a whole different thing than a guy who is buying a boat. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with either of them. It's just two different things, in my opinion. And you could say I'm wrong on that. But, you know, I've met people who've built their own boats. I've built my own boats. You know, I would say, you know, go for it. I think it's an amazing thing to do. Uh, I could tell you all the different things out there and all the different ways, all the different websites you could go to learn how to do it, and I would encourage it. You know, part of a boat is the experience that comes along the way, the whiskey plank if you're building it, you know. Uh, You know, if you do that sort of thing, and if you're not stopping to take those moments, you really should. Um... 
but they are two different people. And then there's just so many choices if you want to do it. There's so many different fun and exciting things. I mean, I sell boats, I build boats, and in my spare time, do you know what I dream about and do? Building your own boat. Building my own boat. So what did I get for Christmas from my wife? She got me a model of a boat that I really like. You know, it's something that just gets the juices flowing, and I can't wait to get my hands on it and read the story that it tells, uh, you know, as I'm building the model of it, and then hopefully one day, you know, build one just like it. So, you know, it's fun, it's exciting. Uh, You know, if you have a kid, they can learn so much with it while you're doing it. Uh, You know, I'll I'll take a hard stance um, for my education on boat building. If you think that you're going to pull anyone's boat plans off the shelf and build it and then sell it for money and make a profit, you've got another thing coming. (laughs) There are rare circumstances, but basically, you know, there's no warranty on it. You know, a guy buying a boat wants to know that it's not going to fall apart. You might be the most amazing person in the world building it, but there's just more to it than that. So... If you're getting into it for the right reasons, which are to drink some beer, you know, take some shots, or if you don't do that sort of thing and you just want to, you know, teach a kid how to do it, you know, kill time in the evenings, you know, just do it. Get out there and do it for sure. Right. And have as much fun doing it as you can. Well, I think, you know, I I love your answer because, you know, there's been information out there on the interwebs where it's like, you know, skiffs are too expensive now. Um, Did you know you could take and build the same skiff that would otherwise cost you forty-five dollars to $50,000 if you went and bought it? You could build it yourself for a fraction of the cost, and if you can operate a, you know... uh, (laughs) <laughs> a saw and a screwdriver and a tape measure, you too could build a boat in your garage. And, you know, the idea of building a boat has always been something I've like thought, man, that would be really cool. And then the thing that's prevented me from doing it is looking at it and saying, Lord have mercy, you know, the learning curve, and, and I know it's, quote, unquote, just fiberglass. And you can rip it apart and start over or sand it down and re-ferret and all that. But it really needs to be not because you're trying to save a buck or two. If you're trying to save a buck or two, <laughs> you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You get out of it before you start. Yeah. But because it, that kit and that website isn't telling you how many hours you have on it. And, and you know, hours are going to vary based on oh, yeah. your aptitude for many, many things. Like, I look at cutting out and putting together the strongbacks as, like, I'm like, peace out. Like, <laughs> I, I don't even know how you would, you know, measure all those things. Like, how do you get that radius right? You know, like, I'm out. I'm just out. Um but I do have uh, an inordinate amount of respect for the guys that I know that have said, I just really want something that I built. 
Oh yeah, for sure. It's going to be mine. Yes. And they don't have, there's no pie in the eye, pie in the sky dream of turning it, turning this into like some kind of venture uh, where they're going to make all this money and become the next greatest boat manufacturer. They, all they want is their skiff. So they have their story and it's a, it's a love story. It's oh. a love story. It's an affair. And yeah, I think Carl calls us sea foamers. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you're hundred percent right about that. I mean, uh, it's been going on since the beginning of humans. If you think about it, I mean, there's nothing more human than a boat. It's like, it's definitely not our first tool. Let's, let's not say that one, but let's say, you know, humans have always wanted to cross water. What's over there. I mean, to, to that end, and quite tragically, there are still some incredibly crazy boat designs coming out of Cuba on a oh, daily basis. I've had personal upfront experiences with some of those and, and seen them on the, uh, down in the Keys. Yeah, it's, it's like you look and you're like, holy crap. You know, I mean, the thought process that went into it, you know, with the limited materials they had and very mission specific, 90 miles, baby, you got to get me 90 miles. <laughs> and, it, and, 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 you know, that's a love affair too. Oh, and yeah. and it, it's a love affair with freedom and, you know, our skiffs, um, you know, my son Wyatt has an old Hobie, uh, power skiff that's uh he loves it he absolutely loves that boat and i believe it's because he got it pretty quickly he understands what that thing really is it's not a skiff it's not a boat it's not a vessel it's a freedom machine oh yeah i mean it just gives you that freedom to get on the water and go yep wherever you can wherever you want as slow as you want, as fast as it'll go, whatever. And, you know, I think that's why we all love boats that are, you know, in the boating world. Um, there's just something about being on the water, you know, whether, you know, you do it to fish or you do it just to get out and relax, um, have a skiff beer and go for a booze cruise or, use it to go to an island to go camping. Um, there's a million and one plus that uh, oh, yeah. uses for a skiff. But uh, Did you see that video the other day of a guy in a Hobie? It looks like a Hobie following a big fishing ship offshore. No. Yeah, it was pretty cool. wonder where that was. I don't know, but it looked just like Wyatt's boat, man. I was oh, wow. watching this video of it, and that guy had fishing rods hanging all off the side of it and he's in behind like a legitimate ship uh -huh. like following it offshore to go fishing man letting them like, letting them pave the way <laughs> yeah talk about a little freedom right there yeah no kidding that's that's pretty crazy but um you know i i saw um on facebook marketplace just the other day it really to me looked like probably a carolina j16 and I don't know how many different J length models they have. I don't think anyone does anymore. But it, it, it was it was probably bigger than a sixteen, but 
they had taken like a multi-level's not the right term for it, but it's like the camper shell for a um, pickup truck. But it's not just the basic camper shell. It's like the camper shell that kind of has the angle coming off the back of the cab that goes up so that, you know, there's, it's a little higher than like, it's not like the cab level. It's not just like that, like a U that was flipped upside down. Right. Yeah. Um, and bonded it to this. And it's like this cool little, they called it a micro houseboat tiller motor hanging off the back. And like inside was like a little bunk and like a little table and, I was like, how cool is that? Like, that kind of piqued my interest in the boat building. Okay. You know, and that's not building the entire boat. That's fabricating something out of an existing vessel. And, yeah. you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that'll be the, you know, what, what is it they call uh, putting a tent on top of uh, a pickup truck these days? Overlanding. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe overwatering will be the uh, <laughs> the next great frontier and. All these guys will build boats that are essentially houseboats, you know, but they're non-traditional houseboats. Yep. So that kind of touches upon the big difference between a production boat and a big, like an individual's boat is the Coast Guard really, not in a bad way, but ties our hands on what we can do with a boat, you know? We can't put all these large structures on there. They've got right. past ability tests and stuff like that. So in a way, like a home-built boat just kind of lets you live that freedom. And then uh, I was going to say one more thing while I was thinking about what you're talking. If you want to check your relationship status with your significant other, you can go down that boat building path. You <laughs> should really, <laughs> you know, I don't know if she's marriage material or not. Let's go build a boat. And if she is around at the end of it. Marry that girl. Marry that girl. And if you're lucky enough like I am and she's around while you're still trying to start a boat company. And you've already mailed her. I don't know what else you can do. My wife's been amazing through this whole process. You know, watching me struggle, trying to figure it out. You know, Jen has just been amazing with it. And I think I've said it before, but, you know, really it shouldn't have my name anywhere on it or Razorfish. It should really just say Powered by Jen Uh-oh. because she is just amazing, you know, and lets me live the dream, lets me figure it out. So, like I said, go build that boat. You know, if your significant other is still there, if you ain't put a ring on it, you better put a ring on it because right. it's a long process. All right. Well, uh, you know, I think we've kind of learned a little bit about what makes you tick, where you came from, what you got going on. Is there anything uh, you feel like we've missed that uh, we ought to talk about a little bit that you want folks to know about Razorfish or what makes Tim Williams tick? Uh Nothing right off the top of my head. We do have some cool stuff going on in the shop right now. Uh, word got out about us and uh, our fiberglass ability. So we are actually building car bodies as well at the moment. So uh, that might be a little taboo in the boating industry to be building some car bodies as well. But, you know, we're building uh, some Cobra kit car style bodies as well as... Uh, you know, some cool stuff that's coming out of this company. Um, more details will may or may not pop up on Instagram, but just know that, you know, we're there doing all sorts of cool stuff. So if you have something you can think of, you know, let us know if we can help you out. Awesome. 
Well, Tim, thanks for uh, taking the time to come down here and hang out in the old double wide. And no, it's a pleasure as always. Let us know uh, what you've been up to and where the future might be taking you. And I've really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll definitely uh, keep following along and making sure we're rooting for you. And yeah, thanks a lot. See how see how things shake out. Yeah, thank you for your time. I agree. Um, you know, I, I think uh, probably the most important thing that you could do at this point is, uh, you know, uh, field quality control uh, check of uh, one of your earlier skiffs. And uh, you and I should go down and do like an inspection down in South Caicos, <laughs> make sure things are looking good and working right. And, uh yeah, I'm pretty good at documenting stuff like that. So you just let me know when we're headed that way, and I'll be right there with you. You know, if I had to bet, that might be on the horizon pretty soon. All I'm right. Turning 40, I can't think of a better way of doing it than, you know, ringing in midlife with going to fish off of one of your own boats in uh, you know, Turks and Caicos. Well, that, that little island where he is is really cool. South Caicos, um, and I can show you pictures. Um you know, there's old coquina, for lack of a better, you know, it's probably, probably coquina and or like limestone um, structures, you know, that, that were put together down there. And like the cornerstone or, or over the door, they would chisel the date that the building was built. And there's some from like the 1600s that are still standing down there. And um, the locals, um, the folks that are actually from Turks and Caicos that live on South Caicos are referred to as belongers. As in, they're the ones that belong there. (laughs) Um, Really neat indigenous folks. Friendly, friendly, friendly. it's an interesting um, little island insofar as there's a uh, marine biology um, college in Boston, and I can't think of the name of it, but they have uh, a campus, for lack of a better word, uh, a research, you know, area. Um, See how much beer you could swill in one night? Where they... You're going to school in Boston, then you do a semester at some point in that curriculum. You go down to Turks and Caicos and do your field study. It's like a field study outpost or whatever on South Caicos. And there's only like two bars on the island. And you'll have all the college kids hanging out at the one bar. And then there's another bar. um, And of course, I'm talking from... 2006 it could have changed by now but things change slow down in that part of the world so it's probably still the same called the chicken bar yeah and uh called the chicken bar because you could go there and get fried chicken right and uh the chicken bar is really neat because south caicos has a very deep port and they actually get cargo for the turks and caicos there and uh you can walk in there and there'll be guys sitting playing dominoes and 
One will be speaking Spanish, one will be speaking Creole, one will be speaking English, and everybody's still communicating. And it's just like this real melting pot, and everybody gets along, everybody's having a good time. It's just a really neat place. You know, whether you like to fish or not, it'd be a really cool place to visit. So, all right. Well, uh, enough of Larry's history lesson. Um, (laughs) And we'll go ahead and wrap it up. This has been a beer. Specifically, a five pine chocolate porter from Three Oaks Brewing uh, with Tim Williams of Razorfish Boats. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, we'll catch you sometime soon with another guest. You know what? Oh, I like all the players. No dickety, no doubt. Play on, play that. First, it's going down, baby, cleverly. My homies got oh. grasshop creations, bump like acne, no oh. doubt. I put it down, never slouch. As long as my oh. credit can vouch, a dog couldn't get you straight up. Now tell me who can stop my rookies making moves, attracting honeys oh. like a magnet. I give them ear gas, I'm swimming with my oh. accent. Still move with this flavor. With my homies smoking BD, feel rich, or I'm shaking short and get
shop down the road. I'm where your granddad's clothes. I look incredible in this big old coat. From my thrift shop down the road, I'm gonna find some tags. Only got twenty dollars in my pocket. Days it used to be. 